0: Good morning to you all. Okay, first service I had three people say good morning. Sounded like about eight of you, so that's good. Glad you're here. Glad you're alert. Makes the pastor excited to keep your attention. Um, This morning I woke up and uh, I was driving north on 116th, just north of Costco. And uh, I was talking to the Lord because uh, I don't know if you've ever had a presentation back in high school or even at your work, and you wake up in the morning and you feel really tired. And I don't know why I felt tired. I thought I slept good. I was talking to the Lord about it, and then I looked over to the left, and there's a full moon, and I'm going, oh, God, that's inspiring. That's a beautiful, beautiful sight. That moon is just on the horizon. It looks big. I can almost see the man in the moon. It's just so exciting. And then the Lord says to me, and this isn't my wisdom and my smarts. Don't get me wrong. The Lord says, where does the moon get its light from? And the answer is, the sun. And God said, Anthony, where do you get your light from? From the sun. And God said, I want you to be a reflection of Jesus this morning. And I want you to know as we go through the sermon this morning talking once again on money, that it is all about reflecting Jesus and his generous spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, after last Sunday, I'm pleased there's this many people out here today. As a pastor, I don't like speaking about money because I know how uncomfortable it is. I know how I don't like people asking me about my money. And so God, I'm just asking that you would let me be a reflection of you. May my flesh not be here at all, but may your presence and power May my words be your words, may your word, when we read the Bible words, may they not return void. May we be cut to the marrow of our bones. May we be transformed people, may we have revealed who we are in Jesus. In Jesus Christ's name I pray these things, amen. Just before we go on to the sermon, I wanted to just give a little bit of a plug for uh, Greg and Aaron Smalley. They are coming here in about three weeks to Secrets for Lifelong Romance. Uh, Greg is Vice President of Marriage and Family for Focus on the Family USA. This is a big deal guy. And uh, last, I think it was two years ago, he came. uh, His seminar was spectacular. And I want to tell you, he's coming to do a different seminar this time. And he wants to give you secrets to lifelong romance. And. I wanna tell you, he is good. But as a pastor, I so often, and I've said this often to people, when they come, when people come to me for counseling about their marriage, I never say it to people. But after the session, I almost think, why did you wait so long? Why did you wait so long? There's so much hurt, so much bias, so much anger, so many patterns that have been developed, this is gonna be tough. So my wife and I, from the beginning of our marriage, we've said at least once a year we'll do something to help our marriage. I would encourage you, if you have a good marriage, to go see Greg Smalley, because you want your marriage to last. You wanna be a reflection of Jesus, hopefully. Also wanna say to you this morning, I wanna thank you as a church, and as much as I'm talking about money, I wanted to say this isn't because we need the money, and I'm not saying the church never needs money because obviously the light's got to be paid, my salary's got to be paid. But right now we're doing well financially, and so this really is a series about you, about me, about who Jesus is, about being generous. And I want you to know that, but I want to give hats off to you when I compare, and you should never compare, I know, But when I compare you to other Alliance churches in our district, we're one of the top per capita giving churches. Now we can rationalize a little bit of that away, say we have a lot of money in Grand Prairie, that could be part of it. But I think, and I wanna thank you guys, you're good givers. So thank you, thank you very much. I have a sermon today about generosity. It's basically, am I generous? Not are you, I'm gonna point the fingers at myself. I have three points, and I'm going to give you the three points before I start today. There is the enemy of generosity is selfishness, point number two, the extravagance of generosity, and point number three, the reward of generosity. So let's start on that first point, turning your Bibles to John chapter 12, verse 1. John chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, This story is a little longer than what we're going to read this morning, but the pertinent text is where we're gonna go. John chapter 12, verse one. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Are you seeing the context? This is a celebration supper. This is a thank you supper. This is I love you Jesus supper. And then you have this character, Lazarus, who's sitting and reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Just a little sidebar, no matter what culture you're in, this is weird, just saying that. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. And whenever you see a word but, pay attention. But, verse four, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, listen to this, who was later to betray him, This is the liar, the thief, who was later to betray him, objected. And honestly, I think a lot of us probably would have. Verse 5, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? I don't know about you, but I have heard this statement used over and over, both in the world and by people in the church, and may have even used it myself. Somebody's got a really big house. He should sell that house and give the money to the poor. Somebody's got a fancy sports car. He should sell that car and give the money to the poor. Did you know that saying and that statement, they feel, everybody doing the research, originated right here? Look at the context of the statement. It was about a year's wages she had given, so that would be equivalent, Grand Prairie, $60,000, this perfume. So verse six, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keepers of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in it. In other words, Jesus, the itinerant preacher, who used to have people that supported him and I don't know if they took an offering, Scripture never says, but they definitely had money to be taken care of and Judas Iscariot took care of it and he would help himself to it. He was greedy, he was a thief and when he saw extravagant generosity, he got super critical, super critical. So the question to me is, Am I generous?" I didn't say you, I didn't say us, because when I preach a sermon like this, I have to ask the question, am I generous? And I want to tell you that honestly, like you, I struggle at times. Sometimes I'm generous, and sometimes I'm not. I saw a couple standing in front of McDonald's Tuesday morning, I had a meeting. The elders, we pray first, and we go for uh, breakfast, and it's not a meeting, but we do discuss a lot of kind of church. Well, sometimes we talk about the weather and things like that too. But I saw this couple, and they looked like they were homeless, and they were digging in their pockets trying to find money for food, and I thought, I should help them. I didn't. So I struggle with you guys. Let me really be blunt and tell you point number one. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. A little tidbit on the side, generosity starts with G, selfishness starts with S, God starts with G, and Satan starts with S. If you ever struggle with generosity or selfishness. Now, did anybody watch the movie, and it's getting really old, and I'm dating myself, Finding Nemo? Do you remember the seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. Sometimes our kids are a bit like well, sometimes we're like that. But sometimes, and I, I remember watching that scene of these seagulls, and they were actually trying to steal stuff from each other, jewels and rocks and whatever else. And I thought, man, that's a good picture of kids because you you have a sister and a little brother and the little brother steals a toy from the sister and and the sister's yelling, mom, 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 mine, 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 mine. And there comes a place in every parent's life when you no longer care about justice. You care about quiet and you look at the little girl, the older, more mature. Surely she can reason this out can you just let him have it? Just let him have it. You, you, you've got other dollies. We have a habit of being like Judas and asking when we see something extravagant, that could have been given to the poor. And remembering the text, did the text say that Judas really cared about the poor? A definition, by the way, of extravagant is someone who has more than you. But yet we always default to Judah's statement. I know a few wealthy people over the years, and I can remember talking to a friend about a wealthy person. They brought up the guy's name. And I remember saying, because I was friends with this wealthy person too, and I said, he is such a generous guy. And I remember my friend looking at me and saying, well, if I had his money, I could be generous too. And I said, wait a minute, I said, the guy gives away half of his income in a year, half of it. Well, if I had half of his income, do you hear me? Why are we like that? Why are we so greedy? Why are we so jealous? Why can't we look in the mirror at ourselves? Robert Morris, whom I get these series from, And I encourage you to look up Robert Morris and The Blessed Life and watch all six sermons because they're really good. But as he was preaching the text that we're going through today, he had a similar friend with the same comment as they drove past a rich house, and Robert Morris lost his kindness for a moment, and he turned to his friend and said, if you really cared that that guy should sell his house and give it to the poor, then you should probably sell your house and give it to the poor. Seem kind of mean? Is there some truth there? By focusing on others' perceived waste, we don't look at our own hearts. Judas was a great deflector to cover his greed and jealousy. Have you ever thought about this? Who gave Judas the money box to take care of? Jesus Christ who knew everything fully God and fully man, although there were certain things he chose not to know the time or the hour when he would return. He put that part of his divinity on the side. But Jesus, who knew everything, knew our thoughts, knew what people were thinking, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, whatever they were, Jesus gave Judas the money box to take care of, knowing he would steal. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus did it to test him. And to give him an opportunity to do the right thing. This is 1 Corinthians 13 stuff. Always hopes, always perseveres. God's always hoping that you and I will grow. God does not tempt, but he does test. Let me ask you a question. Would anyone here, when the offering went just a few minutes ago, would anybody here have taken money out of the plate instead of putting it in? Oh, maybe you know of somebody. I've known people that take change, put in 20 and take 10 out. Yeah, it's a little weird. I've thought about it actually before. I've got 20 and I've got to eat later. I would say that Probably nobody or rarely would anybody take the money out of the offering plate, but if you're listening to last Sunday's sermon, a lot of us have money in our bank account that is Jesus' money, and we keep it. And we tell people they should sell their house and give it to the poor. After this morning's sermon I had a guy come up to me and say, you realize this generosity principle isn't just for Christians, this works in the world, and he listed off some big names and said, most of them can't give away their money fast enough, the blessing just keeps coming in. And I showed last week how tithing predates the law. It's like it's in the DNA, in the fabric of society. And we looked at scriptures that said, that which you measure to others, judgment, judgment, Judgment comes back. Generosity, generosity comes back. And I want to make this point again. This is not intended, this message, for me or this church to get your money. God is very generous. By the way, the giving in the church could go up and it doesn't affect me at all. My salary is based upon what our district office in the Alliance gives us and we follow the grid if we can. We're a little bit behind the grid because we we're in a recession the last three or four years, but I don't decide my salary. I have no input into it. So I'm not after your money, but I wanna tell you that God's after your heart. The tithe is giving God his money for his bride, the church. So there's point number one. Point number two. The extravagance of generosity. Did you know that God is a generous God? He gave His one and only Son. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Did you know that when King David came and gave an offering in the temple, when you do the math, it's actually equivalent to 21 billion dollars today, and you're going, wow, God must have been impressed. And then you read another story in Scripture where there's a widow, she gives two pennies. And she is admired. It's all she had. She had nothing else. And she gave two pennies. In the story we just read, Mary gave 300 denarii, a year's wage in the text we read. Mary gave a year's wage by pouring a year's wage on Jesus' feet. That's an extravagant gift. Could you or I give a gift to God that would impress him? Is there a dollar amount that he'd go, whoo, that's pretty good? The one who owns everything, the one who... As a joke says, a man snuck in gold bullion into heaven and he was so impressed, and he showed God, Look what I brought with me. And God goes, What do you want that pavement for? The streets in heaven are paved with gold. God doesn't need your money. But there is one thing God wants from you, and that's your heart. 2 Corinthians 8:5 says they first gave themselves to the Lord. It's about your heart, friends. It's not the amount. It's the attitude. It's our whole heart. Don't tell me he has your heart if he does not have your money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. When you search the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, most people talk about three kinds of giving. I think most of us know about the tithes and offerings, Most people think they're the same thing, but they're actually not. But there's tithes, offerings. This is in a list. First tithes, then offerings, and the third one's extravagant offerings, or some people call it painful offerings. What motivated Mary to give an extravagant, painful offering? Did you know that most Christians don't get to the first level, to the tithing? I came across a little bit of a description by Jason Bradley. These are American stats, I couldn't find some Canadian ones, although I did look up at recent Stats Canada stuff and I told you that last Sunday. But in the United States, churches giving has dropped 53% in about the last 15 years. Here's some interesting statistics. Now, this is American, but we tend to track right along. Tithers only make up about 10 to 25% of any congregation. Eight to 10 people who give to churches, and I love this one, have zero credit card debt. Hmm. Could it be that generosity also comes with selflessness and you're not racking stuff up on your credit cards? Religious giving is down about 50% since 1990. On average, Christians give 2% of their income to churches. You want to be blown away? Do you know what they gave in the Great Depression? 3.3%. I can't afford to give, you might say. Of the families that make 75,000 plus, only 1% donated one-tenth of their income to the church. Nearly one-third of Americans pay the minimum on their credit card every month. God is a generous God. His Holy Spirit is in you. It's who you are in Jesus. And written in the DNA of the world seems to be this principle that if you're generous, generosity comes back. The good news is, if you get to level one in this three-level giving, you will break the curse and get to the next level. Some people last Sunday came up to me and said, well, I believe in the tithing principle, but I don't bring it to the local church. And my first question is, thank the Lord not everybody thinks like you. I don't know if people think that through. If everybody gave like you give, where would the church be at? And honestly, it's not about the money, we'd survive. The church in China does okay. Until recently, I had got myself into a little bit of a pickle, wasn't horrible, but I'm the father of a 31-year-old, a 30-year-old, I'm gonna get my ages all wrong, I think 27 and 26. And uh, I had a stretch of university, which I borrowed money to help my kids with. I had four weddings, one each year, which I borrowed money to help my kids with. I decided I wanted to drive a pickup truck like everybody else in the Grand Prairie, so I borrowed money for that. I wanted a holiday trailer, so I borrowed money for that. I was still tithing, but the other two parts, offerings and generosity or extravagant gifts, I honestly couldn't afford to do it. In the last couple of years, my wife and I said, this is ridiculous. And I'm glad to say we're this close now to having most of that stuff paid off, and we have this little byproduct happening now When God says, give her, give him, give them $100, send this missionary that money, I can go, absolutely no problem. Last year after we had a testimony up here about a generous giver, a tither, I heard the comment come to me, and I don't know who it was, but the comment was, he's so rich, of course he can afford to be generous. And if you know who I'm talking about, I wish you'd hear the rest of his story. He wasn't always rich. He started tithing when he had nothing. I believe and am convinced that God rewards the generous. So point number three, the reward of generosity. Turn to Mark chapter 14, verse nine. Mark 14:9 is a parallel story to the one we read with Mary pouring the perfume out. Mark 14.9 has a little thing added in that the other text didn't, and let me read it to you. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she, Mary, has done will also be told in memory of her. Don't get me wrong. I am the text are not asking you to give everything away. God wants your heart. He does not need your money. Mary got a reward. She did not come to get a reward. She gave to give. She loved Jesus. Why did she give? Just two months earlier, her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead. Her extravagant gift was Gratitude. If one of your family members was raised from the dead, how would you react? Brothers and sisters, we have been raised from the dead. We once were lost, now we're found. We once had death at death, now we have eternity. All of us have been raised from the dead. Why are we not generous? God always rewards generosity from the heart. For many of us, it's more like you scratch my back, I scratch your back. For many of us, oh, I like tithing, but I like to give it where I feel, where I get some pleasure out of it. We need to give with no thought of giving, getting back. And here's the weird thing. God rewards pure motives of the heart. Hebrews eleven six. 6, listen to what it says. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anybody who comes to him must believe that he exists (coughs) and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That word reward in the Greek, it's a five-syllable word, and the Greeks, oh, they love to do stuff with their language. They can have a three-letter word and turn it into a 15-letter word. Now, we in the English do it a little bit. We'll put D-E on the beginning or E-S or S for plural on the end. Once in a while we'll do an infix, something in the middle of the word, but they would put it all over the place. And there's one little infix in this Greek word that changes it from reward to extravagant reward. If you have faith and trust in Him, God will reward you extravagantly. In other words, it would be like if you returned a wallet you found, and inside the wallet was $50, and the owner gets it, looks inside the wallet, and he grabs into his pocket and gives you $500 reward. He's not rewarding the amount you return, he's rewarding your heart, your honesty. Generous people, all the ones I've met, will say that they live a blessed life, even the non-Christian ones. You can ask them, do you still have trouble in your life? And they say, oh, absolutely. They might even show you scars. But they will always say, but, but God was with me in my trouble. After the first service, I had three people come up and tell me stories of that. They will all say that they have a blessed life. I used to myself hear about people getting and receiving cars as gifts I remember being at a conference when I was just dating my wife. In fact, it was one of the conditions of getting engaged. I had to go to a Bill Gothard seminar now. If you know who he is, doesn't matter. He tells a story about getting a car given to him. I remember turning to my girlfriend at the time saying, wow, that'd be nice, eh? It's never going to happen to me. Within a year, by the way, <laughs> a friend threw me the keys to his car and said, it's yours. It wasn't much of a car, don't get me wrong, but we drove it for three or four years. And so I could no longer say, well, I wish, oh, by the way, I wasn't a pastor then, so I didn't have any popularity or notoriety or whatever you might call what we pastors have. So I was thinking about the sermon, I was talking to my wife about it, and I said, okay, we've been tithing for years And I said, you know, we've given offerings, you know, especially now we can afford it, so we're doing that. But I said, have I ever given extravagant gifts? And she got mad at me, and she looks at me and said, you're thinking about the dollar amounts. That's not what God wants. She said, do you remember when we were in college, and we had just this little wee Chevy Sprint car, and we were running a junior high group in a church, and we were students, and we couldn't even hardly put food on our table? And you would pick the students up and bring them to junior high group and then drive them home. And do you remember our friend? He heard about this at school. Now my friend, by the way, he was kind of greedy and he had lots of money. And he heard about me being generous like this. And he said, you're such a fool, Anthony. You have no money. And I said, Dave, what would you have me do? Not pick them up and bring them to hear God's word? And he goes, no, you just need to say it, $10 a night. And this was a long time ago. And I remember thinking, that's ridiculous. I refused to be like that. You know what? God blessed us and we never were wanting with that car. Somehow, well, sometimes we had to leave it parked for a few days, but when it came time to drive in the junior high group, we could do it. Years ago, I was pastoring in Tumbler Ridge and I got to know a Salvation Army captain. And I never kept in touch with him after I left there and... I moved to Regina, and I was working for Freedom in Christ Ministries, and I was at a conference one weekend by Canadian Revival Fellowship, and across the way, there's the captain. So we connected up. He saw me, and we started talking, and he told me why he was in Regina, and I said why I was in Regina, and we exchanged phone numbers and names, and now fast forward six months. I had resigned from Freedom in Christ Ministries. I had no money, no job. I couldn't even afford to pay my mortgage. I had to go make deals with the bank. I couldn't pay the utilities. I actually was just getting my final notices on some of them. I couldn't buy food for my four kids, and things were tight and tough. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call, and it's the captain. Hey, we said we'd get together. Let's get together. So we got together, and I, through the conversation, told him where I was at, and he said, Oh, he said, Just today. Costco came to me and said, do you guys want all our stale-dated food? And he said, well, I don't know if we have need for it, but sure, I'll come by later and pick it up. And he said, I wanna bring some of it to you. So later that day, he pulls up in his van, and this happened every week for some time, and I was getting strawberries and donuts. Maybe that's what happened. I remember, I remember opening up a package of strawberries. It'd be one sort of rotting one, throw it out, cut the rest up, put it in the freezer. Uh, we got cakes, and we got bread, and I mean, it was probably not healthy stuff that we got. But man, we ate like kings. Do you see how God puts all stuff together? Meeting a guy in Tumblr Ridge, running into him later, just happens to be asked this or that. When the devourer is immobilized in your life, God's blessing can flow. I've got scars and handicaps. I've gone through tough tough times. But when I look at my ministry, when I look at my family, when I look at my life, I live a blessed life. Robert Morris, telling the same sermon. He begins by telling the congregation that he had told a story a year earlier of a man who gave away $100 bills. When the Lord asked for offerings, he would always keep them in his wallet. And then one day he told it again at a message just like this. And his daughter, who he says his daughter had rebelled against the Lord, was now back living with the Lord, one day insisted to meet him in his office, met him in the office. She looked at him and said, that man's you, isn't it, Dad? And he looked at her and said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And he told the story of a single mom who had said she was going to get rid of the devourer and she got an $1,100 check and, or I think it was $1,200 check and she wrote a check out for $120, put it in the offering plate, going, I have no idea how I'm going to eat or make money. I'm, that was money I didn't have. And that very day, Robert Morris saw in the parking lot and he opened up his wallet and there was a 20 stuck beside the 100 and God said, I want you to give them both. The woman will understand. So the daughter's sitting in his office and she looks at her dad and she says, Daddy, I want to be just like you. Are you the reflection of the sun? Are you the reflection of the sun? Tithing, it belongs to God. Offering, do you have the ability to hear God and give when he asks you? And this is assuming you actually hear God. Extravagant gifts, that few times in your life where like the widow's mite, you give everything. And just before I pray, I ask you with the question, are you generous? Are you generous? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, after last Sunday's service and this service, I've had people coming up to me and thanking me, and from a pastor's point of view, it's like I've just taken a beating on people, and they're turning around and saying, thank you, and that can only be your spirit. And some of the people I've said, oh, so you're a tither, and they said, no, I'm not, but I needed to hear that. I have also heard that some people have been uncomfortable with the messages the words I've heard and God may people understand this is not me I don't need the money I get no benefit from it and God even as a church as we get money we begin to say what more can we do for the kingdom of God we don't We don't ever sit and think and we have shinier pews and bulbs and floors. God, we don't think that. We want to expand the kingdom. We want to push back the gates of hell. We want to send more Tristan and Ashley cruises out and more Brames out and more uh, Colette Baudet's out. God, we want to send more missionaries out. We want to send more short-term teams to countries where they need you. We need to send evangelists. We need to send builders. We need to send electricians and mechanics. And you, God, want our hearts. And your word promises when every tribe and nation has heard about the gospel, then the end will come. Then we will truly live without sin. Sin will be vanquished. You won't hold back your wrath anymore. But until that time, God, may we be a reflection in this dark world. And yes, a poor reflection like the moon often, but my heart, and I believe everybody's hearts here, wants to be a reflection of you, Jesus, so speak to us. Tear down the strongholds, those ideas that we have built up against truly and completely surrendering ourselves to you. We give you everything. We give you our time. We give you our talents, and we give you our money. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.